Um, and it's just a delight to be able to, to be here. Uh, I will tell you this, it is cold. Uh, when uh, I, I, of course, I'm, I'm a native of Minnesota, and it's still cold for me. After I moved down to South Carolina for a while, and then uh, I got off uh, the pl- I got on the plane, it was like 54 degrees. I got off the plane, it was 15 with a feel of negative three. I think, what is this place that I lived in for so long? Uh, but look at you. You guys are like pros. You know how to dress up. I said to him the other night, he was showing me something in his garage. And uh, it was about, I think it was probably like three minutes. Uh, and I said to him, are you done? I got to go get in the car. Uh, he's like, you are soft. I'm ashamed of you. Uh, but I am so delighted that uh, you would take your time on a Saturday evening like this to be able to think about what the Scripture says about the home. Uh, and there, there could not be probably one of, you know, the, a, a, an important topic uh, in our culture today. It has always existed, but you turn on any kind of news venue, read any kind of paper, you read various components of things that are happening in the culture. And I remember, uh, you know, 20 years ago as I was coaching uh, soccer in a, creating a soccer club program in a public school, and I think out of probably 20-some players, probably at least half of those players were spending time, uh, you know, with mom on this weekend, dad on this weekend. And there is a uh, there is a challenge in the culture on various levels where there are these components. Now, by God's grace, this is the most beautiful thing in this sense. Uh, God knew all of the challenges that you and I would face in our homes. And the idea, by the way, of a home, and you think about uh, the significance of this particular topic and say, well, you know, you might think, well, I don't have kids anymore. Well, I'll tell you what, the home is such a big entity that it encompasses from the time uh, you have children. And here's one thing I'm finding is now my daughter is now a senior and almost ready to graduate, uh, and she's been out of my home now for almost uh, four years, is you still don't stop having this inclination, do you, as a, as a parent, to still parent them? Like I remember even now at, at 21, you know, I'm saying to her, well, no, you'll do this. She says, I will? Like, wait a minute. Like, you don't have to listen to me anymore. Parenting tends to shift in different pockets and capacities. So wherever you are on that spectrum of, of really uh, helping the structure and infusing this kind of biblical mindset in the home, whether it's a grandparent, whether it's a parent, whether it's a stepmom, stepdad, you name it, I'll tell you what, God wants you to use the Word of God to impact the lives of the hearts of the people that He's given you to be around. And there couldn't be anything more significant, I would say, uh, than a parent, a grandparent, uh, or anybody who's involved in that, that home on any level to begin to start getting to the issue of the heart. And that's really what we want to cover tonight when we think about uh, the, the first topic that we're going to cover tonight. Because I think it's probably, uh, if we could describe it as kind of the bedrock, the foundation of every other thing that tends to spill out, um, it, it is this idea of a healthy focus on the heart. Now, I think it's important for us to ask this question, first of all. Think about it. How did we get to where we are in the culture we live in, experiencing and having to grapple with the things 
that the home now has to deal with. Like, we often look at the culture and we think, whoa, like, how did we get here? You turn on the news and somebody's like, well, guess what? Like, 40 years ago, it wasn't like that. 50 years ago, it wasn't like that. Every culture tends to look back at their upbringing in their home and think that their culture or their time frame was better. Well, the reality is, is have you noticed this in the Bible that nothing's really new under the sun? Like, there was dysfunctional homes all over the Bible. I mean, how would you like to be, for example, how would you like to be a part of the, you know, 12 sons of Jacob? I mean, think about this. Four moms and 12 sons. I mean, here they're vying for position in the home. You've got one mom that is this way. Now, we won't get into how God allows certain things that he allowed, but think about the dysfunctionality that that would occur, that would occur in any sense of that home. Like this was going on from the very beginning. Think back even beginning before that. I mean, think about how quickly the degeneration of the home and the culture happened the moment that sin entered into the world. I mean, just in, in four chapters of the Bible, think about what happened. God creates a perfect environment. He creates man and woman. He, and, and now he's created the first home, the first marriage, the first mom and dad that will ever exist. And now they're in the garden. They take of the tree. Everything starts to fall apart. They have sons. This one son, both sons go out to worship. One son's mad at another. We're only in Genesis, we're in Genesis 3 by this point. Now we're in Genesis 4 with Cain. Cain kills Abel because there's family dysfunctionality and hatred in the home. You get to the end of chapter 4. Isn't this, fan, isn't this phenomenal? Lamech is, is introduced as a figure who has already taken two wives. Now think about this. Sin, disruption of the family, hatred and disruption in the home, murder inside. I, I imagine that disrupted the home a little bit uh, and what was going on there. Then all of a sudden, redefinition of marriage. I don't need a man and a woman. I can do what I want. I can make the home structure whatever I want it to be. We're only in Genesis 4 at this point. I mean, this is remarkable how quickly things tend to kind of go, uh, go off the rails as soon as God is not, is not valued as the centerpiece for authority, instruction, motivation, all of these things when we think about these things in the home. So culturally speaking, uh, I really think then we, we understand, we think, are things continuing to go in a wrong direction? Well, yes. In the culture without Christ, you're going to see homes that are, or that are not going to be biblically centered. It, it is not our, our job to sit there and criticize everything that we see more than to say, well, what am I doing with my own home? And here's what I would challenge you as you give of your time on a Saturday and a Sunday weekend like this. Uh, here's one thing that I think I've learned in parenting. I am still working on being a good parent. I don't stand up here today because I thought, oh, Jim thought, oh, he, he saw me do everything right with, with my five children. Um, there is an element that you have to grow wherever you are, where, where, whoever has taught you, and begin to grapple with what the truth says so you can do the job of being part of that home, whether that home now is your kids off in a different state or off in a different part of town, 
and you're interacting with them at that level, all the way down to whether you have little children in the home or you have teenagers in the home, all of, all of us have to recognize, I have, you and I, we have never met a perfect parent. Okay? You're not it. I hate to tell you this right now. You're not it. Uh, I'm not it. But the goal for us then becomes to say, we do have a perfect father. We do have some perfect instruction from a father in heaven who's actually given us some things so that we don't, so that we don't uh, continue to follow patterns that often exist. I think we need to, we'll, we'll ask ourselves this question. Since we know sin got us to this point and the culture continues to break down, I think it's important for us to ask the question, how do we get to where we need to be? So what if you're here tonight and you're thinking, oh, I really think I screwed up my kids. Like, I can't tell you how many times I felt like that over the years. Like, what have I done? I have now put them into the abyss of never coming out of surviving my parenting at this particular moment. What are they going to think? How are they going to respond? What will happen when they get out on their own? Guess what? God is so gracious and so kind. You may learn some things this weekend that you say, oh, I wish I would have known, you know, 10 years ago, this particular uh, principle, this particular mindset. It's It's not wrong to be sad you wish you would have knew something that you didn't know. But remember, God has a timing, and when He makes you responsible for what you hear, then take it from this point forward and start utilizing the truths Uh, that God wants you to know. And so I think it's important because there's solutions and there's security in in the Scriptures to simply say, can we get through this thing called parenting in, in Christian home and can we get done and even have our kids go out into the world and can we say, okay, I did a good job as a parent. I wasn't perfect, but have I, I can, can I do the things God asks me to do and be comfortable with that um, and rely on God's principles to say, well, this wasn't my idea. Here's why I did what I did. And here's, here's the reasons. Here's the, here's the structure that God built in, and I was trying to follow it. Because here's one thing I want you to remember from beginning to end when it comes to your parenting, okay? And, and with people in general. You can give instruction you can give an un- help them have an understanding. You can even get them to the right place. Guess what you can't do? You will never, and I can never, I've been trying to do it, I wish I could, with my own kids, I cannot give them desire. I can't all of a sudden just be like, desire Jesus. You, you, there's, there's no way to infuse in that child a sense of desire for their own soul. That desire has to come from their own personal responsibility and interaction with the living God and take responsibility to say, my desires will be shaped by something. And that something will be either the culture, the world, the, the, the structure that the world brings, or it will come from the authority of God and His Word. And to the degree that you and I as parents... And, and grandparents and all of those things that are encompassed in that home, to the degree that we help them lean towards God and His Word and His authority will be the degree to which our soul will find more security and strength to say, 
I did what God told me to do. Even if the outcome is not what you would have desired. I can tell you, over the years, as my kids were up in the teenage years, I will tell you this. Not every decision that my children made, I was really excited about. Have you ever had that happen? You get a phone call and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this, this is my child? This is my child? Yes, I'm pretty sure it's yours. Uh, and, and the reality is, why is that so hard for us? Because so often when we think about parenting, uh, it becomes so self-focused about what people will think about me by them seeing my home. Instead of saying, what does God actually think about what I'm doing? All right, one of the better passages, I want you to take your Bible tonight because I think this is, a, this is a, a great place to park for the first uh, portion of our journey on the healthy home together. But turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, if there could be one passage in the Bible that could match a level of cultural component uh, that I would say our culture is filled with, it's the children of Israel just about to enter into the promised land to the Canaanite, to the Canaanite cities that were filled with all kinds of cultural debauchery. I mean, and if you had to catalog it, don't go there right now. Don't be tempted to go to it, but you could turn to the most disgusting passage in the Bible of Leviticus chapter 18, and you're gonna, you'll see a list of all kinds of despicable things. And you know what God is saying to him? Don't have your families do what the families in, this, in these communities are doing. And so there was such an alarm, there was such an alertness and a, and a keen awareness that Moses, having not being able to go with them, was now trying to impress upon them in Deuteronomy. I mean, here he himself, as the leader, he, he's, he's disobeyed God. He's not entering the promised land. God asked him to write the first five books of the law. Why? Because he knew their families were going to need it. It wasn't just that every individual would need it. He knew the family units And the nation of Israel would only be as strong as each individual and each leader in the home and each parent in the home and each structure in the clan. When the clan started to do things wrong, many times the clans often followed suit in the tribes of Israel. And it's it's like, well, man, you're you're following a bad leader. And, And Deuteronomy sets us in a trajectory And I want to read the first nine verses, and I want to unpack some components of this because I think they're really critical for us to understand in how we think about a healthy heart and the focus of a healthy home. So follow along. Listen to what what Moses says. He says, now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God you and your sons and your sons' son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, I, rem- I, I, w- I do a lot of counseling in various components through the years, as Jim mentioned. And I, uh, as a pastor and as a shepherd of, of a church, uh, I'm, I'm constantly interacting both with people in the community at large as well as people within my church. And it's, and it's remarkable to me over 20 years as I've been caring for people to hear people who have been in and around Christianity for a lengthy period of time and hear them say something like this. And, and this, 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 I, this I just heard uh, as I was caring for somebody. And it wasn't, in, in a sense, they, were trying, they weren't trying to say anything bad about it. Here, here was their mindset of the home. Here we're working through various challenges. And one of, the, one of the, the, the parents in the home said, you know, I just didn't really understand how significant it was for me to be involved at this level of discipleship. I mean, I drop my children off at this place, and they teach them to do that. I drop them off at this place to get trained to do this, and they teach them to do that. I just thought church was the same thing. I just bring them, drop them off, and then they just shoot out good children. Now think about the dynamic that happens in the life of a Christian home and the pressure or the diversion in a sense that they create by saying the church should be responsible for my whatever is going on in my children. They'll come, they'll, uh, for years as a youth pastor, they would say something like, oh, you like, I remember this uh, situation when I, when I was a youth pastor uh, years ago, and a couple of the youth were, uh, you, know, you know, fidgeting around and doing stuff in the morning service, and the parent came to me and said, my children are doing this. Like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, what am I going to do about it? The, the real question is, what are you going to do about it? But think about the, the essence of those statements. So often we think, well, you know what, I'm going to kind of take a, a, a passive approach to try to have what God designed within the home. And so the passive approach becomes, I'll just drop off, I'll do this, and then I can let go, and then they'll do this. They come home, you do the same thing, but they don't, many parents will, won't interact with their children, they don't understand the depth of what they're experiencing. They won't have conversations with them. Uh, When they drive in the car, it's virtually silent. They'll turn on the radio. They, They think, well, if I just drop them here and bring them to the good places, then I think that perhaps they'll end up being what God wanted them to be. And I'll take, I'll tell you what, if any of us take a kind of passivity approach to parenting, it's going to be to our children's and our home's detriment. Because what that does is kind of a hands-off approach to parenting where I feel like I do the minimum amount and then I get everybody else to do for me what I should be doing. And and I would just encourage you to be thinking about questions like this in in your own parenting or in your own home atmosphere. When's the last time you had a deep 
heart-centered conversation with your child. When's the last time, if, if your children are old enough to have a conversation, where you have deliberately set aside to go out with them and say, I want to figure out where you are at spiritually. Okay? This becomes critical because what's going on in Deuteronomy 6 is if all of a sudden people didn't take a, in a sense, homes didn't take a, a, a spiritual component, each one in the children of Israel could be left being much, much weaker and, and, and a weakness in the entirety of the nation of Israel. Do you notice this in verse 2? Uh, I think as we, as we talk about it, let's talk about it first like this. A healthy home is going to have a healthy motivation. There's going to be something that undergirds the desire for somebody to have a healthy home. You know, here's, here's the thing that I found. And I bet you probably found it too. What you don't want to do, you don't do. Many times in your life. If you don't desire to do it, how effective do you actually do at doing what you do? Like, you, don't, you probably at some point, if you don't like being a parent... I can remember one situation where I was counseling an individual and as they continued to, to, to rear their children, the children were so challenging at various points, the, the parents said, what was I even thinking having these children? And you probably thought that at some point. I've thought that at some point. Because if I would have known what I knew, what I know now, I don't know if I'd have done it. That's why, you, that's why God didn't reveal that to you then. Because he wanted you to be, to be leaning on him, there has to be a healthy motivation. There has to be a desire that is in your heart to do that. And that's what you see in verse, uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 2. He says, he says this statement, that you may fear the Lord your God. Okay. Now, just park here for a second. Because I have often seen, as I'm caring for homes and caring for families, uh, that so often the things that get lost are the things that are most clear. We rush by it, and, 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 I'll, and I'll be meeting with parents, and they'll be working through their home. I says, and I'll just ask them some basic question like this. Like, what's the whole goal of your home? Like, what's the whole point of all this anyway? Like, why would we meet together? Why would we open up the Bible? Why would we turn to passages why would we, you know, go for weeks on end and I would give you homework to do and you would, you would wrestle with these things? Why, why would we do that? How often the answer to that is, well, I mean, I just want my kids better. And it's not, I want God, I want our family, our home to have a reverence for the things of God. You realize, once you lose reverence, to an almighty individual, an authoritative structure, everything from that standpoint in the home is, is a train wreck after that. If there isn't a reverential component, and that's why he says that you may fear God and fear the Lord your God. Okay, there's a healthy sense of fear because here's what will happen, and I found this so, uh, so many different occasions. If you're not fearing God, it's not like in your sinful heart, you don't have a propensity to fear something else, right? So how many times, okay, as a parent that I was out at a restaurant with five children because we thought 
maybe this would be the occasion that would be fun to go out as a family. Wrong. Because you take five young children into an environment and you're all sitting in a booth and pretty soon some argument erupts and somebody's, you know, spilt something on the table and, you know, somebody's trying to do something. And, and you know what's going on in my mind? Like, all these people are just staring at us. Like, why did we come here? Like, this is terrible. Like, we were supposed to have a night of enjoyment. This was supposed to be a birthday celebration. Like, and then what we end up saying, when we get in the car, we are never doing that again. You kids are so naughty. Like, if, if you guys do that again, we will, we will never go out to eat again. You think we went out to eat again? Of course. We thought it would be fun to do it all over again after we forgot about it. Because the reality is, is in the fear of the Lord, sometimes if we're not reverencing God, we begin to trade that in for a fear of what other people think. For example, if all of a sudden, don't think that, that, that fear doesn't happen, even within the Christian community, on how people parent. Oh man, if I do this, they're going to think, uh, well, I'm doing it wrong. Well, the goal is to fear and reverence the Lord. Bringing up a healthy home and healthy children is very much uh, akin to this reality of what we find in Ecclesiastes, isn't it? That the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. If it's the whole duty of man, then it's also encompassed in the whole part of the whole duty of the home. Okay? It doesn't get sidestepped. It's, it's the duty of all man, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether God or evil. How many times I said to my child or my children, and I still say to them, well, God knows what you're doing, and God knows what your heart is. Why would I even say those things? Now, sometimes, uh, you know, what I want us to understand is a healthy reverence and fear of the Lord reminds your, your family members everybody at every age in the home to say there's someone in something that supersedes and trumps any one of our perspectives. I don't get to say everybody in the home gets to center. We're going to center our entire home around this one child or this particular child. Or I don't get to say, well, this is going to be about me as 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 a father in a way that all of a sudden reverence looks like to them Oh, well, I can't wait till I'm get older so I can tell everybody else what to do too. See, fear of the Lord is there's someone even bigger, stronger, more authoritative than dad, and even dad answers to someone. There is no one in the home who should ever leave without a healthy sense that God is the one who gives instruction and, and he is the one who, who has given all of these elements in the home. Now, I think it should be a place where the fear of the Lord is for sure, and it should be a place where God is understood. Notice this in the text, that you fear who? The Lord. And then he uses the very covenant personal name of God, Yahweh. Like, why would he do that? See, in, in the Old Testament, there were two, one, one of two names for God. There were many that he used in a sense of to describe himself, but two that were predominantly used are Elohim and Yahweh. Elohim was the God who created all of the world. 
Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created, created the heavens and the earth. And then God met with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai, and they said, every time you see the, the capital L in Lord in your, in your English Bible, it's typically translated the word Yahweh. And Yahweh was the name for the children of Israel of God that was their personal creator, sustainer, provider, redeemer. It wasn't just a God who was distant from us, who we didn't know. It was a God who was so close to us and so near to us, it is as if we could really know him personally. Okay, so here is something I would want you to begin to start grappling with in your mind. Do people in your home, when they watch you and your walk with God, do they see a genuine, legitimate, personal relationship with the provider, with the sustainer, redeemer in your life? I mean, if they don't, Many parents think that if they can just take them where they want to go, they don't have to do the work themselves. But I'll tell you what, my kids are so keenly aware of, of what's going on in reality versus what, what, what God wants. I can remember one particular moment a number of years ago as I've continued to grow as a, as a, as a pastor. And I'm, we're on the way uh, to church. And I don't know what it is about Sunday, but I think Satan works overtime on Sunday mornings, when, especially when you have little ch- children. We're trying to get out the, the, the door and somebody's pooped their pants and, uh, you know, I mean, shoes are missing from the box. I mean, you don't know where these things went and who ran off with them. I, I really legitimately thought in, in some real sense, like, I think somehow the kids got up the night before and started to hide things before we would walk out to think, how could this happen? And there was frustration and I can even remember on the way there, uh, you know, I mean, think about this goes. This is great for as a pastor. Of course, you're just, you know, you're really exuding this worshipful mindset to go and help your people, right? Uh, don't you realize I've got to go help people? And you guys are keeping me from this. And they're like, yeah, they're, they're oblivious. They're like, so? Like, we get in there, and then I get to church trying to work through this in your own heart and mind. And then it's like, of course, it's like that moment, you know, when you're at home and you've all experienced this at some point or another where you're just really frustrated because somebody's doing something they shouldn't. And all of a sudden, it's like, what are you doing? And all of a sudden the phone rings and you're like, hello. And I know that my children at different points were just like, what just happened here? Like, he, he's frustrated with me. He loves them. Well, that scenario happened even on a Sunday morning. I go, and, and I'm thinking, I'm frustrated. They can see it. I'm still working through it. And I go in, and I'm in the foyer, and I don't know this is going on. And, and I'm like, oh, how are you this morning? Hey, great to have you here. And later on that afternoon, one of my kids came back up to me and says, hey, Dad, can we talk? Yeah, yeah, sure. We've worked through Tensions are less. And he says, so like when we were out going home or when we were going to church this morning, it's like, well, why was there such a difference between when we were in the car and then I heard you say all these kind things to people? Like think about how keenly aware your children are about who you are. You can't fool them as to what is the priority of your heart. And even at that moment, 
I, I, you could have a chance to say, well, I don't think you're really seeing it right, and you kids were naughty that morning. Or you can humble yourself and say, you know what, you're pointing out a very important thing that was a very wicked thing in your dad's heart, and I need to repent and ask you for forgiveness, God for forgiveness, because this is not what God desires for us as a family. And we, we should feel uncomfortable, by the way, if somehow we're driving to church and being frustrated and, and angry and all of those things, and then we get in here and we're like, praise Jesus. There should be something that doesn't sit well in your soul when you don't uh, deal with them rightly. And I think we, we have to remember it's the fear and reverence of the Lord that brings that healthy sense of disposition. It should be a place, your home, if there's fear and reverence, that it's a personal God there watching your walk with Him. Okay? And it's other-centered, which means the primary leaders of the home have the, most, the, the largest task to display to everybody else in the home what it looks like to be concerned with other people more than yourself. Now, I don't know about you guys, but do you find it a little bit hard to like care for other people more than you care for yourself? Like, I mean, truth be told, I mean, we just we have such an innate, innate reality in our lives. We just love ourselves a lot. Like the sinful impulse of the heart says, me. Like, I mean, I'm even tempted at a meal to want to go first and make my kids go last. You're like, this guy is wicked. I mean, think about, I mean, even simple things like, do you want the largest portion? Or do you want to give someone else the largest portion? All of these small dynamics that take place, the, the children and the family structure is a place where it has to be other-centered. Which means, not only that, notice this, it's a, it's a healthy sense of fear of God which means there's a healthy, a healthy sense of authority because that's what he's talking about in verse 3. Notice how he continues this. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, all the things God commanded, that it may go well with you and that you may basically enjoy what God has allowed you to enjoy. Now, an authority structure is really challenging because all of a sudden, I have grown, you know, if, if we teach our children, for example, that all of a sudden, you know, have you ever done this as a parent? Your kids come to you, especially as they get older, but they do it when they're younger too. Uh, I, I think they're equally frustrated with this response. Uh, you say to them, I want you to do this. And they say, but why? Like, because I said so. Well, that's not a good reason. Like, that's what they'll say. Like, that's not a good reason. Now, if all I ever did, there's not, doesn't mean that there's no place to say, because I said, this is what we're going to do. But if I take, the, if I take the, the reality where that becomes the disposition where I don't help them understand the principles that undergird the instruction, I have not taught them how to fear the Lord and gain discerning wisdom. I've just told them, I'll tell you what's right. I'll tell you what's wrong. And you come, and life is very black and white. When you do this, it's good. When you do this, it's bad. Do you realize how many other situations that the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not? 
to, that you have to take the biblical principles and overlay them on a decision. You start to realize as your kids get older, like, well, God doesn't say, I can't hang out with this person. Well, he doesn't say you can't, but he does talk a lot about the kind of character of people that you hang around. There's so many ways in which this gets overlaid in life. And I think this is really important because God-centered authority is not about, uh, it's not man-centered. Notice how the cultural authority tends to overlay itself on so many homes. I mean, read a parenting magazine. If we had one from like every single year, if we could go back and read like a chapter of what parenting instruction was over the last 30 years, you know what you tend to find? That it's not universal as to what people should do. The world has an idea. Well, this was a good idea 20 years ago. Well, no, no, no. Now we don't do that anymore. We do this now. And then 10 years later, we don't do that anymore. We do this now. Cultural authority pales in comparison to biblical authority. So many times people are looking for a cultural authority. He's like, well, but my child and my circumstance is unique. Well, here's my question for you as a parent. Are, they, are your children still a sinner? Then whatever the Bible says is still applicable for you and for your child. I'm one of, I would say I was one of those parents that like, people are like, oh, I just trust them. I said, you do what? You, you trust them? Do you know what kind of heart they have? It like, doesn't mean that I'm not helping their process, but if I am negligent to the reality that their heart is prone to wander, then I just think, oh, they'll never do. And guess what? They will. They will do it. And they'll do it with a gusto you may have never thought about doing it with. And and so, God-centered authority is so much more important because in our culture, with in many ways, as I've as I've studied and and uh, and worked through various counseling structures through the years, and like a, a lot of psychological components, what I have found over the years is that far more often parents are desirous of a label from a cultural standpoint than to describe something and apply it from a biblical standpoint. They almost, at times, default to whatever the culture says instead of saying, well, what does the Bible say about that? How would the Bible describe it? You know, like, is defiance now somehow, just because you get some level of label on it, does that now mean that now the Bible doesn't deal with that anymore? Well, no, we still have to deal with those things. Even if you get a descriptive measure as to what those are, that doesn't mean that you can say, well, the Bible's not good anymore then. I'll just take this cultural authority and run with it. I will tell you, I have watched families do it to their demise. And what happens for their child is they're always looking for the next excuse, the next description, the next thing. Instead of saying, well, even if this is hard for you, God still says this. And this is clear. So even while it may take you a little longer, it might be a little bit more difficult, you may even be a little slower at it, we still have to bank on what God says is right. And I would challenge you, as you think about your, the cultural disposition in the world, that it's very easy, for example, for parents, and I hear this all the time over the last 20 years, 
Well, I just want to build up their self-esteem. Well, think about that. Is the child's problem that they don't have enough of it? Is that what the Bible says? I'll tell you what the Bible says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? And that means that their natural impulse is to think about themselves too much. In fact, I've even listened to so many different Christian components and Christian radios say things like this. Um, Oh, the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is unto it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. But you can't do that until you love yourself first. So you got to love yourself, otherwise you can't love other people. Now see, the Bible says it's God, it's others, and you're somewhere way down the line. Because you have such an impulse, and I have such an impulse, to serve myself. If I think that all of a sudden my main priority and duty is to give them a healthy reverence and self-centered perspective over against a reverential perspective of God, I will create in my home an atmosphere where everyone thinks that they're the greatest priority and can't figure out why people don't pander to their wishes. And that's a dangerous kind of home. Okay? And so as we think about the, the authority of the culture, so many of uh, what we would understand in our, in our world places this kind of psychological component that overlays the home. Well, if you don't boost up their self-esteem, you'll ruin them. Well, do you think about this. You didn't bear children that were completely righteous, did you? I mean, they came out, Jeremiah said, like, I was, I was sinful even in my mother's womb. He knew who I was. And I was a sinner by birth and by choice. The more that we begin to understand that, we begin to say God actually had a, a predominant perspective to say, it's not about you, it's about me. He has the right to reserve that authority and that focus so that the reverence is on him. And I, lo- I love when we think about the, the, the intention of God. When he says in this, in this chapter, uh, he says, that it may go well with you. Okay, don't you love, uh, I mean, I always liked it when things went well. You know, there's this structure of a home that when, when you follow the instruction that has been given by a divine authority, that it actually works. Like this Ephesians 6.1, like children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, that it may go well with you and you will live long on the earth. Like, think about that. I mean, God's desire was to create a structure by which you and I could enjoy Him and enjoy the life and the, and the world that He created so that when we enjoyed it, we would attribute all of the enjoyment to Him. It's not as if He's trying to withhold from us the excitement and the and the, you know, the, the, the joy uh, of life. He didn't say, he didn't manipulate the, the children of Israel. Think about it. He didn't say, well, if you do what I say, then I'll give you the land flowing with milk and honey. I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of parents try to coax manipulatively their child. Like, what do you want? Like, they're freaking out in the store. And they're like, what do you want? You want a candy bar? You want a sucker? You want, you want a toy? Like, what do you need right now? Or, you know what, if you, if you get this kind of grade, 
I'm going to give you this amount of money. See, if the goal becomes some kind of a manipulative tendency to help them understand what is good, what is right, then they only get to learn, if I do this, then I'll get this. Where's God in that? It's really hard to say, hey, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And oh yeah, of course, God gave it all to us anyway, but hey, you get the picture. Like, do this, we won't have to deal with this, and everybody will be happy. It's more about peace and comfort and getting what we want than it is often about uh, and manipulating things so that we can have peace in the home. I mean, think about even in our culture. I was just fascinated to think that, of course, I mean, as I'm thinking because I came from Minnesota, uh, that this is going on. I mean, even the lieutenant governor over the past week in Minnesota says something like this, dealing with transgender components. When our children tell us who they are, it is our job as grown-ups to listen and, and to believe them, she added. That's what it means to be a good parent. And think about that. That is an authority completely outside, dependent on culture and people. But our culture, remember, according to Romans 1, is legislating and, and, and infusing morality based on sinful consensus. Romans 131 says they're not just satisfied with they're not just satisfied with doing wrong things and sinning. They're, they're never going to be satisfied if they can get people to do it with them and agree with them. And the reality for us is we cannot fall prey to that uh, in, our, in our home and in the way that we do what we do. And that becomes really critical, I think, for us because as we as we walk through these, uh, the idea of healthy motivation is about a reverence and a fear of the Lord. Now think about this, uh, a, a healthy sense of education. Now Jim, when are we stopping here? 6.30? All right, so 5.30. I've got five minutes. All right, here's what we're going to do, because there's, there's, a, there's a couple of things that I really want to cover with this, and we're going to come back and launch out from where we are. I think this is a good place to stop, because... Uh, there's so many components as we walk through verses 2, a healthy sense of motivation. We want to get through a healthy sense of education. What does that look like in the home then? If you want to bring and rear your children up, what does that look like? Well, it certainly has to be motivation, and it certainly has to be a sense of education. And we have to think about those things and how we do them. And then we're going to get to our last point, which is a healthy sense of determination. Because there's something about parenting. I can tell you the more, the, the more children I had, the more children I had that something like this happened, like, this is just hard to keep doing. Like, this is 24-7, seven days a week, every single day, and God desires for us to do that. So let's stop here, and then uh, we're going to come back and we'll launch, and then we'll get to a couple of the other things.